your Bibles, please, this morning, if you would, and turn with me to Luke chapter number 5. Luke in chapter number 5 this morning. Luke in chapter number 5. We may go to another place or two in the message, uh, but you'll want to keep your finger right there. Luke chapter 5, as we'll come back uh, uh, to it on several occasions throughout the message. Luke in chapter number 5. And I want to begin uh, reading with verse number 1. And uh, we're going to read down. Wonderful, wonderful story. And uh, verse, uh, verse 1 through verse number 8. Luke chapter 5 and verses 1 through 8. I'll begin with verse 1. You join me on verse 2. I'll read verse 3. We'll read together four and so forth until we close together on verse 8. Let's stand, please, out of respect for the Word of God and read together. I'm beginning in verse 1, and you join me responsibly at verse 2. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the Word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them, and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken, taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I want you to notice the phrase in verse number 4. Now when he had left speaking, Jesus is uh, there in uh, Peter's boat. And Simon is Peter, by the way. <clears throat> Simon or Peter. Peter's boat. And, uh, and he... Uh, the, the water, I'm sure, provided a natural uh, 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 acoustics uh, that uh, allowed for a large crowd to hear better. And uh, he got through teaching. And then uh, he turns to Peter and he says, verse number four, uh, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Now, if you remember, uh, we just read that they had been fishing all night long and they were cleaning their nets and uh you know if you if you have a job you guys that work contract work and you have a job and you go through and you pick up all your tools and you roll up all of your cords and all of your airlines and you pack everything on the truck and you're ready to go and someone says hey won't you do one more thing for you are not excited about dragging all those tools out again and here's Peter, they, they, they fished all night long, caught nothing. The, just, the fish are just not there. They're just not there. And here comes this man. Now in Peter's mind, he's thinking, you ain't never fished a day in your life. You're a mighty fine teacher. Fisherman, no. And Jesus told him, let down your nets. For a draught, and that word draught means for a big catch. Let your nets down for a big catch. <laughs> now Peter, he, he has great respect for the Lord. He admires him. He appreciates him. He listens to him. He's fascinated by him, no doubt. Uh, he's not yet fully committed to him, but, but and he's happy to loan his boat to the Lord. And, uh, and so Simon answers, and he says, uh, Master, <laughs> that's, a, that's respectful. We just just want to remind you, we've been doing this all night. You know, we've told all night. Now you do know this, right? 
We've, we, we, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. We, we fished all night long and the fish are not there. Just, I just want you to know that. Nevertheless, to show you what a good man I am, he was going to do what he was supposed to do, but he wanted to do it under protest. You ever do, you ever do right under protest? Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now, what do you notice about the word in verse 4 and the word in verse 5? Let down your what? Jesus said, nets. That's plural. And so verse number 5, Peter said, tell you what I'll do. I'll let down one net to prove my point. <laughs> and guess what? God is the one that proved a point that day. Peter didn't prove a point. God did. I want to speak to you on the subject this morning. Unreasonable requests. Unreasonable requests. No matter how young or old you are in the Christian life, if you're brand new in the Lord, I promise you this, it won't take long. If you grow in the Christian life, if you become what God wants you to be, if you grow to maturity, you're going to find along the way some requests that are a little hard for you to swallow. And they're going to seem unreasonable. And the faith whereby you were saved is going to be tested. And you're going to find out, do I really trust the Lord? Or not. Let's talk about that. Unreasonable requests. Father, we love you this morning. We need you. We need you. Oh, every day we need you. And I pray today, Lord, that we would see that the master of our life is the master of the seas, the master of the fish, and all of creation is a God we can trust, no matter how unreasonable it may seem from our vantage point. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Simon Peter obeyed, but he obeyed under protest. But I'm glad to report to you down in verse number 9. He was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. This what seemed to be to Peter an unreasonable request. The Lord was asking something of him that was a waste of time. Uh, something that would require more work. He's already bone tired. He's been all night long casting these nets. These particular nets had weights on them on, around the edges. And they would throw these nets out over the water. And then the weights would go down and sink. And then they had a, a, a rope of some kind tied. So that when they pulled the nets, then it would gather at the bottom... And they would entrap the fish in the nets. And they had been casting and drawing and casting and drawing. It wasn't like, you know, this kind of fishing. You know, you throw a little worm out there and reel it in. I mean, these were net, nets, large nets. And, and they are, they, this is a manual labor. And all night long working and tolling and working and tolling to no avail until finally the break of day they said enough is enough. These men knew this was their life. This was their business. They knew where the fish were. They knew when the fish moved. They knew where to find the fish, but they just weren't where they were supposed to be on that particular night. And they came up empty, and they were tired, and so they hauled all the nets in. They got to get all the stuff out of the nets and get prepared for the next time. They're cleaning their nets, and here comes Jesus, and they said, Sunday school time, uh, uh, let's all sit down and listen. And the crowd gathered in, and boys, a big crowd, and he said, Peter, could I, could I use your boat? As a platform, he got on Peter's boat and got off the water, got off the shore a little bit, and no doubt the, the, vo the his voice carried on the water, and, and folks could hear. And he talked for a while, and and uh, we don't know all the results of that teaching, except that when he got done, he made to Peter this what seemed to him an extremely unreasonable request. Well, Jesus was up to something, wasn't he? Can I tell you something, my dear friend? You can trust the Savior. You can trust His Word. You can trust His commands. And, and listen, uh, 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 a, good, a good command is not one that adds up in your mind. Just If you could get to the place in your Christian life where whether it seems reasonable or unreasonable, you say, you know what? It's the Word of the Lord. It's what God said and I don't really understand it, but I trust Him. I know that He loves me. I know what He asked me to do is guided by infinite wisdom and motivated by love that's beyond my comprehension. So, yep, I'll just cast the nets. Amen? 
Now, 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 he had to get his buddies to help him, and they had two boats so filled with fish they were about to sink. This had been a real good time to expand the business. I mean, uh, the catch like this, good night, they could have taken the profits and maybe got that other boat, that third boat they'd been wanting and hire a couple extra hands perhaps even and they could have expanded the business and his plan could have, could have gone to another level except that when he saw what the Lord did, something moved in his heart, Jesus said, I tell you what, if you follow me, I, I, you can really accomplish something with your life. And Peter and those men, they left it all right there that day and said, enough of this. I'm gonna do something else with my life that makes a difference for eternity. Amen. Oh, thank God that the, the Lord's unreasonable requests uh, have a great purpose. Let's pause across the page, if you would, to Luke chapter 4. And, and I, I want to show you a couple of uh, unreasonable requests that are alluded to here. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus uh, goes and uh, on this at the beginning of chapter 4, he goes into the wilderness, 40 days, didn't put a single bite of food in his mouth and prayed and he fasted for those 40 days. Then he's tempted of the devil and with the power of the word of God, he resists the temptations of, the Satan, of Satan. And verse 14 says he returned in the power of the spirit into Galilee. Verse number 16 says he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Now Nazareth was Jesus' hometown. Nazareth is where the Lord, as a little boy, grew up in his, uh, in his dad's carpenter shop and learned to trade, and people knew him, and he was a first-name basis with folks in that town. And, uh, and uh, Nazareth was not a prominent town at all. Uh, it wasn't the kind of place you'd think of a Savior coming from. And, uh, but anyway, he grew up there, and, 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 he, and he comes now. He has, he's an adult man now. He's about 30 years old, and he's uh, been in a season of prayer and fasting. God's power is on him, and the Holy Spirit has come and filled him, and he's exercising, the power, exercising uh, uh, his work in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he comes, uh, uh, the Bible says, uh, to the synagogue. Verse 16 again, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. That's Isaiah. He's going to be reading from Isaiah 61. And verse 18. And he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance, to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them that this is profound. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now you're going back hundreds of years to the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament prophets writing, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach and heal and set free and so forth. And he closes the book and folks are sitting there. He sits down at the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues. Have you ever seen a picture of one or visited one? Uh, was uh, not exactly like ours, but literally people would sit. The doors would be here and then the seats would be on all three sides. And, uh, and usually a tear fashion. And, uh, and uh, it was an intimate space, a smaller space that people could pa uh, pack in. And the speaker would be in the middle and uh, would read or speak from the middle. And folks on three sides and doors in front of him again. And Jesus sits down. And, he, and everybody's looking at him. All eyes are on him. And he said, I am the fulfillment of this prophet, of this prophecy. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Verse 22 said, And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Now wait a minute. You've got to remember, this is his hometown. This is where he grew up. This is where folks know him by first name. And Jesus it says, I'm the fulfillment of this prophecy. And people start looking over at you, talking in church, like some of y'all talking in church, and said, said uh, isn't that Joseph's boy? Isn't that, isn't that the young man that grew up down the street from us? What's he talking about? 
fulfilling a prophecy. That's a toe-headed kid. We, we watched him grow up. It's not this Joseph's son. By the way, Joseph was a stepdaddy. Amen. Because <laughs> he was born of a virgin. Amen. Anyway, verse 23, and he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. Jesus had already had a certain element of fame because of the miracles they had done elsewhere in Capernaum. And he calls these men out. Now, this is the thing about the Lord knows our thoughts. These guys are whispering there, maybe on the back row behind him, you know, on that third level up there behind him. Say, ain't that Joseph's boy? And Jesus calls them out. He said, surely you all will say uh, this proverb, physician, heal thyself. In other words, you want to tell us what to do. Why don't you tell yourself what to do? That's what we would say. You, you, you think we got sickness and we need to be healed. You want you to heal yourself. He already knows what kind of reception he's going to get in his hometown. And he acknowledges it. Verse 34, he said, and he said, verily or truly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. No prophet is accepted in his own country. You know, I, I uh, have the privilege. I spent 18 years, first 18 years of my life in Hickory, where my dad was ministering, started the Christian school there, and then assistant pastor, eventually the pastor. But all of my growing up years were at Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory. And so I went off to college, and I was gone and came here for, and for it was quite a few years before I was ever back. Uh, at Tabernacle, and, uh, and, but, uh, but I got to go back a few times for a special day or something, a preach, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, I guess, I don't know, I was probably in my 40s already by the time that happened, and, uh, but then we went back to preach, and, and uh, folks come in and shake the pastor's hand, you know, and, uh, and so there were several came by and said, I changed your diaper in the nursery, <laughs> and, uh, and I said, I'm a prophet, no, I didn't, uh, anyway, but uh, warm, sweet, warm memories, of course. Uh, but, you know, it, it would have been pretty tough to go try to be a pastor at my home church at 25. Because they wouldn't be saying, I changed your diaper in the nursery. They'd say, I know what you did five years ago. And uh, anyway, but, uh, uh, but, that, but Jesus said, look, I, I, I'm, I'm familiar. I'm familiar. And, and, and I, I don't expect the honor here that we get elsewhere. And then he gives two illustrations. Go with me, if you would, please, to uh, 1 Kings, 1 Kings in chapter 17. 1 Kings in chapter 17. Now, I won't go into this part of the implication of these illustrations that Jesus gave infuriated them to the point they tried to kill him before it was time for him to die. He was going to Calvary. That's why he came. He came to die. He came to go to Calvary to pay for our sins. And his hometown folks were so mad at him when he got done uh, with these illustrations in his teaching, they tried to literally try to push him off a cliff, and he miraculously disappeared so that they could harm him uh, before it was time. And but we, here's the stories, and uh, both these stories are about folks who were not they were not Jewish, they were not Israelites, they were not part of God's chosen people. We find in First Kings 17 and look at verse number nine, and this is the Elijah the prophet receives a command. Uh, from the Lord. And uh, verse 9, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he had come to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, Go and do as thou hast said. Look at this unreasonable request. But make me therefore a little cake first. And bring it unto me. And after make for thee and for thy son. Look at me for just a moment. The nation was under, this whole region was under punishment from God because of idol worship. And the man of God had declared three and a half years before this, 
God's judging, judgment is coming, and the judgment is no rain. Three and a half years, not a drop of water had fallen. The rivers were dry. The streams were dry. The rivers were dry. Animals were dying. People were dying. There was no way to grow food. There was, there, there, the, uh, people were absolutely desperate. This lady is identified as a widow, and, and, uh, and her husband has already died, and she and her son have survived. And here she has been three and a half years, no rain. She has a, a, a little oil and a little meal, if you will, a little oil and a little meal, and she has plans to cook what little, little bit of meal she has in that oil and cook it. And she only needs, she said, I need two sticks is all I need. It's not very much. If you can, if you can cook something with two sticks, it's not very much. And she said, I'm planning to cook this last little meal, put the oil in the meal in the pan and cook it, two little sticks, and we're going to eat that, and then we have plans just to die. Now, wait a minute. I'll be honest with you. I would not have wanted to be in Elijah's position. When God told Elijah, he said, go down. He told him where to go. He said, there's a little widow lady down there, and I want you to go to her and ask her for something to drink. And so he goes, and he says, can I have have a little water? Now, water was as precious as gold or more precious than gold in that place. And I imagine she thought, seriously, sir, here I am, a widow. And I'm trying to take care of my son. And you want a drink of our water as precious as it is. And then, <laughs> why she's, but she's like, okay. And she goes to get to drink of water. And on the way to get to drink water, he said, oh, by the way, will you make me a cake? And then that was, a, she, she snapped after that. She said, Learn, sir, I have a little bit of oil and a little bit of meal. And I'm out here to collect two sticks so I can cook a big old fire with two sticks and make this little meal into a little cake so me and my son can eat it and we die. And I'm glad she probably had her hand right. And, and, that, and we'd all be like, yeah, tell him. I feel that way when I'm reading it. And then he has the, he has the audacity. To say, he said, I understand. Make me a cake first. Could you imagine the audacity? I feel that way when I read the text. And you know what she says? She knew him as a man of God. Now, keep in mind, she's not an Israelite. She's not one of God's chosen people. And yet she's a God-fearing woman. She recognized him in the text as being from the Lord. She said, the Lord thy God. Speaking of Elijah's God. She's a God-fearing lady. And she obeys that unreasonable request. Now, if you know the rest of the story, (laughs) let's just read it for fun. Verse 14. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the bearer of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. God put this woman in a desperate place and right at the point of her desperation, he asked something of her. She needs something from him. She needs so much from him. And at that point of desperation, God said, I need something from you. And in her flesh, no doubt in her flesh, like you and I do sometimes, we need so much from God, we need so much from God, and then we hear about what God needs from us, and we're like, enough already. I, I, I don't want to hear about what God needs from us. I need something from Him right now. And yet, and yet, and yet, what seemed like such an unreasonable request, she by faith recognized it as from the Lord, and she said, well, as much as I need it, okay, but if God needs it, if that's what He's asking, I'm willing to do it. She proceeded by faith, and after she, she, she baked that little cake with that meal, little corn cake, I suppose we'll call it, she went back, looked in the, there was some more meal in there. She went, looked at a little cruise of oil, there's some oil in there. She said, well, my goodness, I thought for sure I used it all. So then she made one for her and her son. She went back, there was still some meal. She went back, there was still some oil. And every day, every day, for many days, she, her son, the man of God, and all of her loved ones, all of her, but people heard about that, I guarantee you. She had lots of company. And, uh, 
and, and, and for many days until the water came. Listen, my dear friend, you can trust to God. Listen, that's unreasonable. I, 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 I'm a Christian now. Yes, I believe in Christ, but some of these things I'm learning about, this, that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, listen, I'm, listen I got, you know why I got saved? The number one reason I got saved, I didn't want to go to hell. I really, God was waking me up at night. I was thinking about hell. And literally, and, and, and that drove me to, Bob says some say with fear. I, that's how I got saved, amen. Now, some of you got saved for more pure reasons, perhaps. I don't know. But I didn't want to go to hell, amen. But you know what? As, as I grew in my Christian life, I was like, well, you know, you know, God didn't just save me to keep me out of hell. He has a purpose for me. He wants me to walk with him. He didn't just save me by faith. He wants me to live by faith. The just shall live by faith, the Bible says. And I learned that the Christian life is not just one initial step of getting saved. It's another step. That's what baptism is. You got saved by faith. God said, you call on me, I'll save your soul. Really? Yeah, I'll save you. Just call on me. I'm the only one that can save you. Buddha can't save you. Mary can't save you. Pastor can't save you. Priest can't save you. El Papa can't save you. But I can save you. Will you save me? Yes. I want you to do something for me. What? Get baptized. I'm scared of water. You know what gives me the heebie-jeebies? I don't like crowds. I want you to get baptized. I got baptized as a baby. I want you to get baptized. The Christian life is a walk of faith. Amen? Well, if I take a step of faith, what happens next? Something else? You say, well, that's not reasonable. Aren't you glad that our God has a brain big enough to think up stuff that doesn't fit with our brain size, but fits with his brain size, amen, and is able to perform what he's promised. Jesus gave another example in Luke chapter 5. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. You're in 1 Kings there. Turn to 2 Kings and chapter number 5. He gives an example of another man who is really, uh, historically, had been uh, off and on, enemies of God's people in 2 Kings in chapter number uh, 5 the story of a Syrian captain named Naaman the Bible said now Naaman captain of the host of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given him given deliverance unto Syria and he was also a mighty man in valor but he was a, a leper he was a military hero for Syria a high ranking military man but he had leprosy. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And one of those raids, the Syrians went into Israel and they brought back some folks that they would enslave, and one of those was a little girl. We don't know what happened to her family. The Bible doesn't tell us, doesn't give us her name. But they brought that little girl back and she served uh, 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 excuse me, Naaman's wife. Verse number three. And she, this little maid, said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria. That's Elisha. This was the uh, Elijah we just read about. This is Elisha, the one who succeeded him in ministry. Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria. For he would recover him of his leprosy. Now this little maid, she wasn't bitter evidently. She cared about her master. Think about that. That's, that's quite a, a testimony. Amen. Somebody believing in the providence of God and the, and, and, and the will of God is a little girl that's taken captive and, and, and now she's in the, the, this foreign land and, and, and they're enemies to her people and only God knows what's happened to her family. But anyway, she's not bitter evidently. And she tells the, the lady of the house, she says, I wish, I wish your husband knew the man of God that our family knew because if she could talk that, she could talk to him, oh, he could be, your, your husband could be healed. And so, verse number four, and uh, one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is of the land. Somebody overheard that and went and told uh, uh, Naaman. Verse five, and the king of Syria, Naaman must have gone and talked to the king about it. He's, again, a high-ranking military man. And the king heard about it. So the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed, took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, about $90,000, and 10 changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying now when this letter is come unto thee behold I have uh, therewith sent Naaman my servant to, to thee that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy 
So here's what happened. Uh, 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 this man that's sick with leprosy, uh, uh, Naaman, he, uh, he tells the king about it. He said, I got a little servant girl from Israel. She says there's a man of God over in Israel that can, that can heal me. And, and the king said, well, I, I want you to be healed. He let me write a letter. He writes an official letter over there to the king of Israel. And he's got this uh, official letter from one king to another king and instructions and so forth and, and, and gifts. He's loaded with gifts. And, 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 and so uh, verse number seven came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter he ran as close to him my God to kill and to make a lie that this man does sin and to me to recover a man of his leprosy wherefore consider I pray you and see how he's sick of the quarrel against me he thought the king of Syria was picking a fight with him he said I can't heal people why did he send me this letter verse 8 and it was so when Elisha the man of God had heard that the king of Israel rent his clothes that made news that he sent to the king saying wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses, with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Watch this. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him. <laughs> Here he is. Watch this. He's finally made it to the, to the doorstep of the man of God, and, and, and he announces himself, a knock at the door. And Elisha told his servant, he's a, one of the young men that served him, he said, go tell him. <laughs> go Tell him, go, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away. And he said, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Look at me. <laughs> this man, this unbelieving man, has a phenomenal opportunity from God. Because of the testimony, no doubt, of that little maiden, God said, I'm going to do something for her. <laughs> she had the faith for it. He didn't have the faith, but she had the faith. She said, boy, if you could talk to the man of God, you could be healed. Word got to the king, and uh, the king sent an official letter, goes over to Israel, gives the letter. The king of Israel's like, what am I supposed to do? He's trying to, he wants to have war with me. What's going on here? And Elisha heard about this. The whole country heard about it. He's rent his clothes. The king's all upset. And Elisha said, tell him to send the guy down here to me. He said, I'll take care of him. And so here comes that warrior. And he comes with his ambassage, all these gifts. And he comes to the house of the man of God. What does he do? He didn't even answer the door. <laughs> he sent word. A little servant boy came to him and said, uh, Elisha said, go down there to the Jordan and dip in it seven times and you'll be healed. The man said, what? Elisha said, go down to the Jordan, dip in seven times and you'll be healed. Can you imagine all this entourage standing and this little boy looking at all these fabulous horses and all these soldiers and all the entourage and all this gold and everything and they're looking at him like, seriously? And that man goes into a rage. The Bible said that he went into a rage. He was wroth and he went and he said, this is ridiculous. I, we, we have two beautiful rivers in Damascus. I could dip in those if I could get healed of leprosy, dip in the water. I wouldn't dip in that old nasty Jordan River. And by the way, the Jordan River, it is nasty. It is dirty. It is dirty. And, uh, and, and, and what, you know what God was trying to do? God was trying to humble this man. God was trying to show him that there's a God in heaven. And, and, and this man goes away in a rage and he's ready to go back to Damascus just as mad as he could be. But he had some caring servants. And sometimes uh, uh, humble caring servants have a little more, uh, a little more wisdom uh, than the one with the title. And they say to him, sir, sir, you know, you know if he had asked something hard of you, you probably would have done it. He just asked you to go dip. Why don't you go dip? And he begrudgingly goes down to the water. And I can just see, I can just see old Naaman there as he dips in the water, comes out, looks at his kids. He told you, told you. It's a waste of time. Master, six more. Come on, come on. He goes under again, comes back up. This is ridiculous. What a waste of time. No, 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 Master, please. Just, just, just five more. He goes down that fifth, sixth, and comes up that seventh time. And the Bible said, boy, his skin's like a baby. Completely whole. Amen. Can I take, listen to me. My point is this this morning. God's 
will, God's command, God's directions for your life don't have to be reasonable to you and I. There's a God in heaven who's all wise, who's all knowing. He's been around a good while. He's always been and always will be. Amen. And He knows what's best for us and He loves us and He can be trusted. He can be trusted this morning. What little little thing are you wrestling with in your life? I don't think that's right. I don't think I ought to have to do that. Why should I forgive? Why should I be the one? I mean, I've done this. I, 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 ain't, why, I, could, do a, I could do something else. God said, why don't you go dip? You too good to dip? Not this kind of dip, by the way. You too, you, are you too big to dip? Huh? And that man had to humble himself. He had to eat some crow, if you will. But oh, how God blessed him. Can I ask you a question? Don't you want to see what happens when you come up out of the water that seventh time? Peter said to the Lord, he said, Lord, if somebody does you wrong and you forgive them, and they come back, do you wrong again, you forgive them, you do you wrong again, forgive them. Seven times do you wrong and you always forgive them. He said, are you expected to forgive more than seven times? Jesus said, 70 times seven. I'm sure Peter went, Seriously? Seven in the Bible is the number of completion and 70 times seven doesn't mean 490 and then you get to be mad on the 491st time. He's just saying just keep on forgiving, keep on forgiving, keep on forgiving. Don't you want to find out what God might do in your life if you just keep on forgiving? Wouldn't you like to know what happens in your home, in your life, in your family, with your children, with your loved ones, with your marriage, with your job situation? Wouldn't you like to find out what God is about to do if you will humble yourself and dip and dip and dip and dip and dip? Amen. That's unreasonable. Okay. Probably so from your vantage point in mind, It's probably completely unreasonable. But there's a God in heaven and he knows some things we don't know. You're back in Luke, if you would. Look at chapter 6 of Luke. Chapter 6 of Luke. We're talking about unreasonable requests. The Bible says in verse number 20 of Luke 6, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God blessed are the ye that hunger now for ye shall be filled blessed are ye that weep now for ye shall laugh won't you notice something in the present tense poor in the present tense hunger in the present tense weep but in the future yours is the kingdom You'll be filled. You'll laugh. Present, listen, present circumstances do not dictate what's going to happen down the road. God's in charge of that. Amen. God's in charge of how things turn out. Verse 22, blessed are ye when men shall hate you. And when they shall separate you, exclude you from their company. We don't want you around here. And shall reproach you, discredit you. And cast out your name. We would, you could use the word malign there to understand that phrase. Cast out, malign, smear your name. Cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake because of your testimony for Christ. I think about Jacob Garden House who is with the Lord now, but he was a Jew and he, his father was a rabbi in Jerusalem. Jacob Garden House came to the America and got a, received a gospel witness on the streets of New York City. And God began to work in young Jacob's heart and, and Jacob came to faith in Jesus Christ. Jacob went back to see his parents and tell them the wonderful news that he found Christ to be the Messiah of the Old Testament prophesied in Isaiah in many places and that Christ had been the fulfillment of this testimony. And his father, the rabbi, stood there looked at his son with the joy of the Lord on his son's face and realizing that his son had left Judaism to become a born-again Christian. And he said to his son, Jacob is no longer my son. 
Jacob is dead to me and to his family. And he closed the door. On several occasions, Jacob Gardenhouse tried to witness to his father, and the response was, Jacob is dead. But the Spirit of God in Jacob's life, every time that he was, had opportunity to show the love of Christ, he did it. And that man steeped in his Judaism, steeped in his religion without a Savior, still waiting for a Savior when the Savior already came, began to see what God was doing in his son's life. He began to search the scriptures. He began to read those Old Testament prophecies. And he began to realize that there has been one who has come in fulfillment of that. And because of Jacob Gartenhouse's testimony, one day his rabbi father, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, studied those prophets and cried out, Yeshua! Yeshua! It is he! It is he! And his family was saved because of his testimony. He was maligned. He was cast out. He was counted as dead. You and I, when we come to Christ in the freedom that we enjoy in this, many of us, some perhaps ridiculed, made fun of perhaps, but, 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 but cast out, probably not. But around the world right now are folks who are literally going to the chopping block, literally being tortured, literally being uh, killed, martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, listen to me. And God said, what's my response uh, to being maligned? What's my response to having my name smeared? What's my response to, to persecution? Look what he says. Look what he says there in the 23rd verse. Rejoice ye in that day. <laughs> Rejoice ye in that day and leap. Watch me, watch me. Whoa! They hate me. Whoa! They smeared my name. Whoa! They know I belong to Jesus. You said, that's strange. That's unreasonable. Rejoiced when I'm poor and hungry and weeping and hated and excluded and reproached and my name smeared. I'm aligned. Rejoice. Yes. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Make no mistake, my dear friend, some of these unreasonable requests, you don't get to cash in on the blessing until the other side of the grave. But I read about some of those folks. Go with me to the book of Hebrews. I read about some of those folks in the book of Hebrews. Verse chapter number 11. I read about old Rahab, verse 31. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, Obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Many, many, God miraculously spared them and they saw the deliverance this side of the grave, but others and others and others, verse 35, and others were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and these all having obtained a good report through faith received not the promise God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Turn over to Revelation in chapter 7 
Revelation in chapter 7, God opens, uh, uh, pulls back a curtain and allows John the re- uh, to see things to come. And, and the Bible says in Revelation 7 and verse 9, After this I beheld and lo a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters and God shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. Why in the world should I obey such unreasonable requests? Why in the world should I forgive when I've done my part? Why in the world should I do these things that God asks of me to do? Go back to Luke. Go back to Luke. Go back to Luke and we're almost done. Go back to Luke if you would. Verse number 24, he says, in verse 23, Rejoice ye in that day. Verse 27, Luke 6, 27. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Well, they don't love me. Love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. I ain't doing nothing for him. He hates me. Bless them which that curse you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Unto him that smiteth the the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. You know, we could summarize these verses and those that follow in one little phrase. Be good to others. Be good to your enemies. Be good to those that hate you. Be good to those that curse you. He says in verse uh, 29 there, at the end of verse 29, And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh, you ain't taking advantage of me. Verse 30, Give to every man that asketh of thee, thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. What's he saying? You be good to those that hate you. You be good to those that are, are, are your sworn enemies. You be good to those that take advantage of you and don't keep track of those uh, who take advantage of you. Verse 31, as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them. Likewise, treat everyone good no matter how they treat you. Verse 35, but love ye your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful. Be good to people, even if they don't appreciate it, and to the evil, that's people that want to hurt you. Be good to those, even if they turn around and and, and hurt you in return. God is saying, listen to me, I'm calling you to a higher way of living. The Savior who made these commands to us are the ones who took the beating, the one who took the crown of thorns, the one who took his beard plucked out and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The one who took the spit in his face, the one who took his na- the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet. Listen, this is not somebody who's asking us to do something he hasn't done. Yes, from a vantage point down here below, it seems unreasonable. But from a heavenly vantage point, God might make you a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ and some can come to know the love of Christ because we're good to others who aren't good to us. If you and I do those commands that are reasonable, we will miss the eternal benefits. What we read in Hebrews chapter 11 and over there in the book of Revelation is a host of people who obeyed those unreasonable commands but did not receive their reward 
until the other side of the grave. You say, Pastor, what if I go to the grave and my home is never reconciled and my friend who stabbed me in the back, even though I love them and are good to them, never confesses and never comes and admits what they did and how they wronged me. What if, what if, what if? You just go ahead and trust God that it's better for you to live like a Christian no matter how anybody else around you lives. And if you don't get your reward till you get to heaven, hallelujah, the Lamb will be glorified because you trusted Him. Three statements. I'll package them. I've said them over and again. Statement number one, why should we obey unreasonable requests? Because of the one who's asking. The all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, immutable God who's no respecter of persons is asking us to love our enemies, be good to those who hate us. Number two, because of my limited understanding and His omniscience. And number three, because of the millions upon millions who have already proven Him faithful. Let me ask you a question. Do you really want to get in line at the judgment seat of Christ behind those two men who about a year and a half ago whose picture we saw who were pushed off a building for smuggling Bibles because they wouldn't give up where the Bibles were stashed. Two brothers, they said, We'll push off the building. You tell us where the Bibles are. And one brother looked at the other brother and said, I'll see you in a few minutes in heaven. The first one went off. We'll do the same thing to you. Tell us where the Bibles are. And a minute later, the other. And those two brothers opened their eyes in heaven. Hey. Just like it said it was in the book. Do you really want to be in line behind those guys at the judgment seat of Christ? Faith is believing that God knows best even when it makes no sense to me. If God loved you enough to go to Calvary, then you don't need to guess His motives. He loves you and what He asks of you is best whether you understand it or not. Can you trust Him? He saved you by faith. Would you not now walk with him by faith? And he's awfully kind. His spirit is the one who guides us. And he doesn't show us everything he wants for us at one time. It scares us half to death. <laughs> but as, he's, as he guides us, he says, here's something else I want you to do. I want you to learn how to be a witness for me. I want you to learn how to give you tithes and offerings. I want you to learn how to forgive I want you to learn how to be good to those who have not been so good to you. How to speak with grace in your heart to those who speak unkindly to you. And there will be many times you stop and you balk. And your flesh will want to balk. Say, I don't understand. That makes no sense. Yes. And that's where we walk by faith. Would you bow your heads, please? Our heads are bowed. Eyes are closed.